warning! The Bone Bad Joe is intended for adults only and contains bad words and other yucky stuff that may make some people very angry. So watch out! I'd like to go to a film festival, but where can I find one that offers hilarious independent comedy? I'd go to a film festival, but only if it offered blood-drenched horror. I like movies, but I like live music, too. If only there was some place where I could get both. Sound familiar? It's Saturday, and your awkward love triangle has nothing to do. You want to go somewhere to see independent horror, comedy, and horror comedy films, as well as the finest musical acts in the Pacific Northwest, but you can't find it anywhere. Well, have I got news for you. Saturday, April 21st, 2012, at the Big Picture Theater in Redmond, Washington, the Bone Bat Comedy of Horrors Film Festival has exactly what you need. Wait a minute. Comedy and horror movies in live bands, too? You betcha. Local nerdcore legends Death Star will be rocking the mics with a set of the nerdiest, bounciest, dopest beats. Sure, nerdcore is nice, but I like ear-blistering metal. Good news, sugar britches. The Bone Bat Comedy of Horrors will also feature a set by metal artists burning of eye. Harder than adamantium and tighter than a Romulan marital aid. Burning of eye is sure to please. Ooh. Hold on. Nerdcore rap and progressive metal are fine, but this is a film festival. And feature-length films are too long for my short attention span. Do you have anything for me? The Bone Bat Comedy of Horrors Film Festival will have a metric shit ton of short films, as well as feature-length films. Mother of fuck! That's cool. When is it again? The Bone Bat Comedy of Horrors Film Fest, April 21st, 2012, at the Big Picture in Redmond, Washington. Tickets on sale now at www.bonehand.com. The ticket gets you the whole seat, but you only need the edge, edge, edge. No, just kidding. You'll, you'll use the whole seat. It's kind of a long show. They're comfortable. You'll like it. Where you can listen to Steve and Gord It's a kick-ass digital broadcast Where we've got dick jokes galore Bone Bat This is Robert Kirkman and you're listening to the Bone Bat Show
What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 84 of the Bone Bat Show. This is Steve. And this is Gord. How's it going, man? It's going pretty good. Yeah? I'm feeling a, a sense of deep personal satisfaction right now. Really? How so? You and I were talking earlier about how we're not exactly spring chickens. We're, we're basically old. There's a certain group of benefits, a certain group of achievements you can, you can only get once you reach a certain age. And I, I had one of those. Okay. Where, and the thing is, it's when you realize you need a specific tool for a job, and then you realize you own the tool, you know <laughs> where the tool is, and you go and you get the tools right where you think it is, you use the tool for the job, it's the right tool. That does not happen to you in your early 20s. That is a very satisfactory feeling. Like- you got to go to the hardware store several times. You're working around with something that's not quite the right tool. I can think of a couple of those things. The little plastic widget that you use to smear caulking perfectly around a tub, I have one of those. Me too. It's called a thumb. No, no, no. I have like a little plastic deal that's perfectly curved. Why does it not surprise me you have a caulk tool? <laughs> I, I guess it shouldn't. Yeah. So no, I, I had the tool for the job. I never got to use it before. I've had it for a while, and I was pleasantly surprised that the fire extinguisher works. <laughs> okay. Why did you have to tell me it wasn't your new coffee pot? <laughs> no. I don't think a, a mere fire extinguisher can take out a coffee pot fire. No, I was grilling hamburgers, and my kid looked out the kitchen window and said, Wow, it's really foggy outside, which immediately made me alarmed because it's clear. <laughs> and he was looking at smoke. Okay. So I went, and sure enough, my uh, my grill was engulfed in uh, a raging conflagration. Because I, I keep putting off cleaning out the fat that's accumulated down in the bottom of the grill. It has a, a really crappy drip pan system that doesn't get a lot of the fat. And I guess it was close enough to the flames, and the whole goddamn thing caught on fire. See, that, that'll sort of work when you use a briquette grill, like a Weber, but you, you can't really do that with a propane grill. You can't yeah. really do the, the leaving the fat on to add flavor. It's not and safe. Also with the propane grill, you can't just go, well, I'll just let it burn itself out. It's fine because it's right next to a, a big tank of explosive gas. Yeah. So you kind of need to deal with that situation. So maybe leaving it unattended while you do something else so your kid says, gee, it's foggy outside <laughs> is not the wisest move. No, probably not. I went in to get a plate or a spatula or something to do with the grill, but then you know how your kids are. Dad, can you do this? Sure. Uh, I need you to do that. Okay. Hey, I got to go back out and, oh, Jesus, we're all going to die in fire. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm well, glad I had, it, I had a fire extinguisher. I'm glad you totally got that worked. all shut down. And so, was was the little tag like had it been inspected? 
in the recent years like it's supposed to, or was it anybody's guess as if it was going to work? You know, it's anybody's guess, but it has a little a little dial indicator on the outside that I do check occasionally, okay. and it was still in the green. Okay. So okay. I figured it was still pressurized, and sure enough, it was. Because oh, option B was to try to like roll the grill and into the, the pool, whole damn thing in the pool. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been quite a sight. That would have been awesome—just a big flaming grease <laughs> fire on the surface of the pool. I guess that's the only kind of grease fire that it could be—is a flaming grease fire. But you know what I mean. If you did that, though, you'd have to like just d- suddenly rip your shirt off and dive under it like the transporter. Because <laughs> that would just be awesome to pull like yeah. a Jason oh, Statham God, you're move. Absolutely right. <laughs> you, you know, you can't just experience that every day. So at some point, swimming under fire would be tits. Yeah, flaming oil slick. I'm going in. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm glad everything worked out. Okay. Thanks. I, I won't be grilling for a while. I, I have not inspected the grill to see if it's permanently dilapidated or if i just need to clean off some half-burned fat and fire retardant <laughs> so speaking of stuff this re- speaking of your mom speaking of stuff that's red hot we're listening to kirby crackle tonight seattle's own nerd rock kings song you've heard so far is take it from me from their 2010 album e for everyone uh, I actually got to spend a few minutes chatting with Kyle from Kirby Crackle at Emerald City Comic Con 2012 this weekend. Nice. So uh, we're going to play a bunch of Kirby Crackle music this episode. We're going to talk to him. I have a bunch of really cool interviews with comic creators that uh, I was able to hunt and gather over the two days that I spent at Emerald City Comic Con. And uh, I hope you enjoy all that good stuff. Uh, on the film festival front, just a quick update. The enormous package is no longer on sale. You can no so longer get your hands on the enormous package. You missed your chance to wrap your fingers around your enormous package. So at this point, though, advanced tickets are still on sale for only a mere 25 bucks a piece until April 13th. So 10 more days from when we're recording now. You can buy at bonehand.com. There's a big red link there now, a big red shiny button. Just click that button and uh, buy some tickets. I, I personally airbrush several bags for the enormous package. The enormous package is going to be awesome because we've just got a bunch of stuff. The people that did buy them, I think you're going to be really awesomely, pleasantly surprised. We always give you a little more than you think you're going to get. Exactly. A little more than you think you can take because mm-hmm. you can always take a little more. You just know. That's right. Just relax. You can take it. <laughs> What else? Uh, So, yeah, uh, we've actually been recording a couple of interviews with some of the filmmakers. So our next episode, which is actually only going to be a week away, will be a preview of the film festival. So you're going to hear some uh, interviews with the directors and uh, maybe a few uh, musical tunes from the films that we're playing. So it's going to be a nice preview leading up to the festival. So I hope you enjoy that as well. Now, in the meantime, though, Gord, Mm -hmm. what pisses you off? God, you know what pisses me off? The the hospital billing system that I am now immersed immersed in immersed in immersed in immersed in what I wanted. Yeah, yeah. The hospital billing system that I am now immersed in because as as you probably know, my kid had an ER visit, hospital stay, ambulance ride, all that stuff, and that that's cool. And I've got it all worked out. He's fine. 
I have health insurance. I'm only on the hook for a few thousand dollars. But the way they go about like getting you to pay for it is just freaking asinine. Like every, I don't know how much money I owe because every couple days I get another little stack of bills <laughs> from various parts of the hospital. It's it's like the only thing I know of where you can go in and you don't know how much you're going to pay and when it's all over you don't know how much you owe and there's no one bill to look at to figure it out. Well because it's in the middle of the game. Right now What's going on is your medical people are sending a bunch of ridiculous high bills to the insurance company. The insurance company is going to pay a certain percentage of those and say, fuck you with the rest of them. So then once all that clears, then there will be a final bill. That- Why can't they just send one piece of paper from one place? Because of the I game? mean, I went to one place. There's one name on the side of the building. Yeah, but there's an anesthesiologist. He gets a separate bill, and there's a specialist, and the doctor, and there's the hospital itself. Everybody has a separate bill. Same. They're like with different kinds of envelopes. They're coming. They use different fonts, different names on the. It's yeah. It's it's a, like totally separate entity. Imagine. Here's it's a, what it's like. I mean, there is no other company, no other organization that bills you like this. You go somewhere, you take your car in, your mechanic might not know how much it's going to cost to fix the car. He gives you an estimate. He buys parts from multiple sources. Then he gives you a bill when it's in. You write it. You write your check to the one guy. That's the bill. All done. Now, there could be insurance involved. Maybe he goes back and forth with the insurance company for a while. But still, you get a bill from a guy. Yeah. But it's like not that way with the hospital. To try to relate it to something that's more like in your world, imagine if you went to one of those adult video arcade, put a quarter in and jack off places you like to go to. I wouldn't know what you're talking about. Yeah, but okay. the one. Yeah, the one you tried to get me to go into when I was up in Seattle a couple times back. It'd be like you go there, but then you get a bill from the mop guy, and <laughs> then later you get a, a bill from the performer behind the the jack off window. And then maybe, I don't know, you get a bill from the manufacturer of the cleanser that the mop guy used after you were done. It's just, it's ridiculous. You get it now? Uh, yeah, you've explained it amply. Okay. <laughs> right, so, Steve, what, what pisses you off? You know, what pisses me off is the fact, okay, I, I downloaded a new game recently. All the kids are playing it. It's called Draw Something. Have you seen All this right. game? Yeah. It's a kind of a game uh, similar to words with friends type app, but you draw a picture and your friend has to guess it. Just downloaded it, and somebody has already taken Bonehand. I am Bonehand fucking everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah, you are. And You're yet, Bonehand.com. Now I have the douchey The Bonehand for this because some guy snuck in and stole my name. At this point in the game... After 10 years or however long I've been right, if you go to bonehand.com, that's me. If you go to anything almost on the internet, that's me. So how in the hell does somebody steal that out from under me? I I don't even actually know why it annoys me. It probably shouldn't even annoy me. But it does. I feel like proprietary about the name Bonehand. I don't know why. It's not my real name. Trademark it or something. I, I guess so. Yeah, that pisses me off. It shouldn't, but it does. No, that should piss you off. You're justified. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, Emerald City Comic Con. So, uh, you know, it was kind of funny because I told you last week, you know, we've been working hard and promoting a film festival and doing all this different stuff. And last week I was just beat. 
And I was like looking at this weekend, and I was like, you know, I, w- I kind of wasn't looking forward to Emerald City Comic Con. And oh. I got there, and I had just an amazing time the whole time. And it recharged my batteries to a such an extent that now I was like looking through the next two weekends, because the next weekend is Norwest Con, and I'm taking my daughter to Sakura Con. And I was like, you know, just feeling weary about the whole thing. And it totally recharged my batteries. I'm like fired up now for this coming weekend. So Emerald City Comic Con was the best thing that could have happened to me. It was so much fun. I went to some great panels uh, on Saturday. Actually, the first thing I did was uh, I went to a panel on crime comics with Ed Brubaker and Greg Rucka. Now, Greg Rucka, we interviewed last year. And uh, I'm a big fan of his stuff with uh, Queen and Country. Also, uh, he's done the uh, Gotham Central stuff with Ed Brubaker, you know, the more kind of police procedural side of Batman. Yeah. And listening to those guys talk, just like a couple of really smart guys talk about their art at length was a really awesome experience. It was just cool to get like their take on where crime comics had, had come from, where they were going, what makes them work. And it was just a fascinating discussion of that. And I was really glad that I did that first thing. And then uh, following that, I went to a panel for Vertigo Comics, uh, which, you know, I've been reading forever. But one of my favorite Vertigo Comics currently at the moment is uh, Chris Robertson and Mike Allred's iZombie. And just a really cool comic. Mike Allred's the guy who did Madman. So the guy's got... Just an amazing, distinctive art style. I've been a fan forever. And so when this comic came up, I immediately picked it up. And it's kind of an excuse for him to draw a world where there's all kinds of different monsters. And my daughter started picking up the comic around the house and reading it. And so it's been kind of cool. The last year or so, we've been sharing this one comic that we both really enjoy. And they announced it's going to be canceled. Oh, so yeah. I was totally bummed about that, but it's got a big ending coming up. I actually interviewed both Chris Robertson and Mike Allred about the ending of iZombie, and so we'll be listening to that in just a moment. But uh, very cool stuff to, to see what's coming from Vertigo in the coming months. There's a new book called Saucer Country that's kind of like an Area 51 sort of a thing that looks interesting to me. And uh, have you read any of American Vampire? You know, I have not read it. Seen it on the rack, picked it up, glanced at it, but not actually taking taking it home. I was given the second volume of the trade recently, and it is great. It's really good. So that's one of the things that I need to catch up on, is there's a new uh, arc of that coming, which should be really interesting. But I've also got to go back and read the first trade at some point. That's one of the things that actually pisses me off about Con. I don't know if it's all Comic-Cons. But if you go there and you want to find stuff that's 5 to 10 years old, you can find it everywhere. But there's a million dealers in the dealer room, and none of them has shit that came out in the last year or two. Hmm. And it's kind of frustrating because, you know, I, I have a box at a comic shop where I get my, you know, five or eight comics a month. Not too many anymore. But, you know, I don't always want to pick up the trades there or whatever. And, you know, this was a chance for me to maybe spend a few bucks on some other stuff. And I couldn't get what I wanted. So a little disappointing. I think I bitched about that last year that I was looking around for Temple Smith stuff like Wormwood. I still haven't been able to read that. So anyway, well, why don't we uh, go to our first interview, dude? Do it. This is Chris Robertson first of iZombie. 
Hi, this is Steve from the Bone Bass Show once again, and I'm here at Emerald City Comic Con 2012 with the writer of one of my favorite comics at the moment, iZombie, Chris Robertson. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, first off, give us a little synopsis of what iZombie's about. Uh, iZombie is the story of Gwen, who uh, is a girl who dies, which is sad, and then she comes back from the dead as a zombie, which is slightly better and discovers that in order to pass as living, she has to consume a human brain once a month. But not wanting to hurt anybody, she gets a job as a gravedigger at an ecologically friendly cemetery that does use embalming fluids, and once a month simply digs up the freshest body and consumes its brain. Then for the following week, she has to share her head with the thoughts and memories of the dead person and fulfill any unfinished business that they left behind. And hilarity ensues. I kind of dig the mechanic that you've set up in the comic for that reason, because you have the kind of case of the week aspect Mm -hmm. with each brain she eats, but you also have the overarching storyline of like these two cabals who are fighting to both bring about and delay the end of the world. Right. And so that's that's kind of cool, because it gives you a lot of options story-wise as to which way to go. Yeah. I mean, you know, it starts off very simple. The the plans for uh, giant Lovecraftian monsters that are coming to eat us all was there from the beginning, and there's hints of it, at least by issue like four or five. Um, but I wanted to do kind of a, a slow build on it so as not to scare anybody off. Yeah, it's just a fun book, I thought. Well, I think so. I think so, too. And, what you know, as somebody who grew up building Aurora models mm-hmm. and eating Count Chocula cereal, I mean, these monsters I have just genetically ingrained in me and to be able to enjoy a new twist on them plus share it with my 12-year-old daughter at the same time has really been a pleasure. Well, thank you. One of the things that I've really enjoyed is the fresh twist you brought to it with the idea of an oversoul and an undersoul mm-hmm. to explain how all these monsters come to be. I had not seen that take on it before, and I thought it was really great. Well, thanks. That was probably uh, a factor of reading far too many role-playing game manuals growing up. <laughs> sure. But I, I like worlds that make sense or where there's underlying rules that, that explain things. And if there's one thing that explains why that world is different from ours... And so I stole the basic idea from old Hong Kong wirefu movies where there's a traditional folk belief in China that there's more than one soul in the body and that um, one of them might stay with the body after death. And that's where you get the hopping vampires. Yeah, sure. But I ended up transposing it to Egyptian terminology because it's a a mummy who's telling us information. But yeah, the whole thing is just selling from old Shaw Brother movies. (laughs) That's fantastic. Well, one of the other things that's really cool is the fact that you're getting to work with Mike Allred, who, you know, I got to be honest, I'm a longtime fan of Madman, and it was his art that brought me to the series, but your writing that kept me there. So it's cool to have that you two working together on this. Yeah. Well, there's no shame in that. That's probably why I would have read the book. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Allred's and have been... Since right before Mad Men started, you know, I think when, when Tundra was putting it out, uh, I picked it up. I just got out of college, I think, and uh, he just became one of my favorite creators. And I've, I own everything he's ever done, including, you know, lunch boxes and yo-yos and action figures. So the fact that Mike even knows who I am is kind of baffling. But the fact that we've been doing this comic together for the last three years is pretty cool. That's really cool. Now, it was kind of heartbreaking, actually, for me to go to the Vertigo panel today and find out that the book is ending in five issues. What's the deal, man? Uh, Vertigo canceled it. Oh, that's brutal. <laughs> well, the, sale, the sales haven't been great. And, you know, realistically, um, any creator-owned book, 
anywhere. It's it's always a question of like when rather than if it's going to yeah. get canceled. I think the days are past when um, you can just call your shot and say, I'm going to publish 100 issues of this Vertigo book and then out because the, the sales just don't support it anymore. But uh, luckily, they gave us enough advance notice. I, I had seen the handwriting on the wall. I've been waiting for the shoe to drop for at least a year. So I had already structured a good end point as long ago as a year. So I was like, if we can get to around issue 30, we can finish the story that we, we started with the first issue. And then if we get anywhere past that, that's fine. We'll do something else. Right. Uh, and so when I got the call a couple of months ago that it was being canceled, Shelley Bond, our editor, told me we had to 28. I was like, yeah, all right, I can make that work. Okay. And really, it was it was a question of like getting it all in trade, you know. So like sure. we've got three trades out now, and everything else will be the fourth trade, and so you'll get a complete story. I mean, mm. it's, it's it's the story we intended to tell. So. Well, that's good that you, you actually had the end point in mind. I mean, I, I have to feel like we kind of maybe missed out on some of the smaller stories of oh, yeah. her that, that maybe, you know, you had to share. But at least we are getting, you know, it's not dropping off in the middle of it. So. Right, exactly. You, you get you get the big story. So um, I had to curtail a lot of stuff. Originally, the skee-ball story, which appeared in one issue, mm-hmm. for some reason I wanted to do six issues of that. It was going to be a, <laughs> an epic big skee-ball story. And uh, that was around the point where I was like, I should probably start upping the pace here a little bit. Um, so, yeah, it would have been nice to spend more time with uh, a lot of the supporting characters, many of whom we, we don't get to see a whole lot of. And uh, not really going to get to do my Creature from the Black Lagoon guy, which I, I'd set up. We glimpse him briefly in the short story that was in, I think, one of the House of Mystery annuals. Okay. But um, his whole story will sadly never be told. <laughs> Now, one of the other things I've been enjoying about the comic, actually, is also the sense of place that uh, Mike Allred brings to it. It uh, takes place in Eugene, Oregon, and a lot of it at the University of Oregon, which I spent a couple of years at. So it's really neat to see, like, I know that building! Right, right. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, uh, Shelley Bond tricked us, because when she paired me with Mike, I'd, re- I'd done the proposal. They wanted to do it. Uh, she'd been looking for a project to w- work with a- Mike on, because she was actually his first editor... 25 years ago or whatever oh, when wow. it was at Kamiko no on a book that didn't end up happening. It was him and Steve Siegel were going to do a book called Jaguar Stories, I think, or Jaguar Tales. Anyway, originally I think I had the thing set in Colma, south of San Francisco, which is basically what town that's just graveyards. Okay. But Shelley said, you know, Mike's always wanted to do a book in Eugene. Would it be okay if we moved it there? And I said, sure. So then she called Mike up and said, Chris really wants to set this in Eugene. Is that okay with you? And he said, yeah. So for at least a year, both of us thought it was the other guy's idea. But, uh, yeah, I like it. I, I've never been, but I'm moving to Portland in June, and I'm looking forward to, like, you know, taking the train down and checking out Eugene. Oh, man, you're moving to such a, a great area for comic creators. You've yeah. got to know that there's so many people here, and it's great to see all these projects. You know, people know each other, and then all of a sudden, you hear a year later, oh, hey, we're doing a book together because yeah. we were just talking at the coffee shop or whatever. So that's exactly. really awesome. Yeah, and my, my other creator-owned book, which has not been canceled, uh, Memorial at IDW with uh, Rich Ellis, is set in Portland because that was a book where I didn't have a specific city in mind, and because Rich lives in Portland, he said it's okay if I do it here so he could get reference easy. So both of my creator-owned books are set in Oregon. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So uh, now that iZombie's wrapping up, do you have? is there anything else that's on the horizon that you've got coming up or any new things you're working on? Yes. Uh, can't talk about it yet? No, I <laughs> see that look. <laughs> um, so I'm still doing Memorial at IDW. I've got a couple of issues to go on Elric at Boom. I am doing an arc of Ferrist. The, the spinoff of... Bill Willingham stuff. Yeah. And uh, then lots of other stuff that I can't talk about yet. But I'll, I'll, it will be coming out right before San Diego. 
All right. Well, we'll keep following what you're doing, and we'll keep an eye on that so we can tell our listeners. And one last question. We always, and this may be a loaded question given the uh, discussion we've just had, but uh, on the Bone Back Show, we always like to ask, what pisses you off? What pisses me off? Having your book canceled. <laughs> Actually, that didn't bother me. I, I saw that one coming. I, 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 I hate seeing creators treated badly, and there's a lot of that. And... Um, I mean, the moment before Watchmen pisses me off a fair amount. That's that's really yeah. yeah. That's a whole other discussion. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your time and have a great next couple of books. What you're doing? Thanks very much. This is Steve from the Bone Bat Show once again, and I'm here at Emerald City Comic Con 2012 with Mike Allred. How you doing, man? Fantastic. This came off a very enthusiastic panel. I gotta say, I've been a fan of your stuff for a long time. I've got a couple of the old Tundra issues kicking around. Yay. I've been reading Mad Men for a long time. <laughs> I gotta say, you have some of my favorite swag ever. Arguably, the Mad Men action figure from Graffiti yeah. is one of my favorite toys of all time. Me it's too. Great stuff. <laughs> anyway, but uh, lately, I've been reading I Zombie, which has been a really cool comic that I've been able to share with my daughter. And your art has been a big part of that. It's nice to have had an excuse for you to draw all my favorite monsters. Well, well, it's been a wonderful opportunity to draw my favorite monsters. In fact, that was one of the things that uh, appealed to me when Shelley Bond showed me Chris's original proposal. And uh, it was like, this is going to be fun. This is, gonna, this is exactly what I would like to do right now. And we just meshed. It just worked. Uh, all of my uh, proposals for the project... Chris was enthusiastic about, Shelly was enthusiastic about, and, and uh, we just pulled together and have just, it's been more and more enjoyable with each issue. I'm, I may be Eye Zombie's biggest fan, <laughs> and, and not because of my artwork, but just because I just love the experience, and, and Chris's uh, scripting is just terrific. Well, and I love the take that he brought to it, like with the undersoul, oversoul yeah, aspect of, so you're taking all these monsters that you grew up with. Like I mentioned to Chris, you know, I grew up building the Aurora models and eating Count Chocula, and so, I, you know, these, these monsters are in my blood. Yeah. And to have that nice, fresh twist that makes it all new again has been really cool. Yeah, I agree. And it all takes place in my backyard, Eugene, Oregon. <laughs> Which I went, I spent a couple of years at U of O, and I got to say, it's really cool when I recognize buildings that I had classes in, in your art. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was originally told that that was Chris's uh, suggestion. You know, Eugene is a very unique place. It has some curious, you know, original aspects to it. And uh, now I'm hearing that Shelley told Chris <laughs> that I wanted it to take place in Eugene, but... Anyway, I don't care. I'm just glad that it, uh, that it does, and it, it all just uh, sings. Absolutely, which kind of bums me out, because I learned in the Vertigo panel today that, that only five more issues, actually. Yeah, uh, what just what issue? We just, just got 23. So. 23, okay, yeah. It, uh, it, it, we're in the last chapter that we've been building. It's this, I love the, the pace of the book. It has a real slow burn. Some people thought it was a little slow at the beginning, but I love it. It, it. The way we just kind of got to know the characters and built and built and all these strange events taking place. And, and now it's this galactic thing that's just building and growing. And, and w w this last chapter is just killer. I, I think when people read it as a whole, I think it will take a whole new life of its own. And people will see what, what um, the intention of the series was all along. And I'm looking forward to it being this big, beautiful, single volume. It's going to be great. Absolutely. So uh, since this is wrapping up, what are you working on next? 
A lot of really cool, exciting, fun stuff that I'm not allowed to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm always working on Madman or the Snap City Universe with the Atomics and whatnot. Right. So I'm, I'm trying to get at least one special out a year, like a classic giant size special. Mm-hmm. This year we have the gigantic monster, 20th anniversary Madman monster, which I'm really happy with. And uh, so next year will just be a like the king size special that came out last year mm-hmm. with uh, a big new story from me and, and some shorter stories from other artists and writers that I really like. And I'm always looking for my friends and favorite artists to do their uh, Madman stuff. So you, people always be able to look forward to more of uh, that weird little world that I've created. But the uh, my collaborative projects, which I'm building steam up right now, very excited about them. And I can't wait till I can tell people what they are. Cool. We will definitely keep an eye out for news of that. One other question. The Bone Bat Show is big on featuring independent artists and independent music. And music has always kind of been a vibe in your work. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And so tell me right now, uh, what are you listening to these days? Do you have any bands that you'd like to point our listeners to to check out? Yeah, I'm listening to a lot of uh, MGMT, uh, Grizzly Bear. MGMT, that song, Kids, yeah. got stuck in my head. Yeah. I, heard, I heard it once, and then all of a sudden I started hearing it everywhere, and yeah. it's just brilliant. I love it. Both their albums I love to pieces, and I've, I've got all their side things, too, mini singles and whatnot. And mm. um, Grizzly Bear's got this really cool, uh, echoey sound that they've come. Arcade Fire is a band I really love. And I always listen to my my old favorites, all the, the cool bands from the 60s and 70s, uh, you know, Mata Hoople, Bowie, mm-hmm. the Stones, Beatles, Kinks, Roxy Music. Once I love a band or an artist, I, it just grows from there. My love intensifies as new music comes in and gets me excited too. And My Chemical Romance is, is, is a, their last album, I think, is their best. It has a really cool glam rock feel to it. Mm-hmm. If I looked at my iPod I could really go crazy on all the <laughs> the newer music that I'm listening to but just off the top of my head that's the stuff that you know um, Radiohead I, I always uh, get excited when they've got something new out and um, Dandy Warhols the Brian Jones Jonetown Massacre Black Rebel Motorcycle Club uh, you, you add all those bands together and you get a pretty good idea of what influences me and um, beyond that Pink Floyd would be the, the biggest influence and, and other bands that are in that whole psychedelic mm. uh or, or space rock genre is something that I get excited about because that, that's my band, The Gear. That's what we play. It's mm-hmm. a, we have put on a pretty intense psychedelic space rock show and and uh, leave people walking out hypnotized afterwards, and that's a big thrill. Does and that's gear- what I, what I want to do with the comics too. I I with when I'm writing and working on comics, I kind of imagine a, a, a sound, and I, I wish that I, I all the books could come with a soundtrack. You know, <laughs> listen to this song and. You know, while you're reading this and whatever, but didn't Red Rocket Seven one of those had a flexi single in the back, didn't it? Uh, it was a CD actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I actually, in that case, I did make a soundtrack album, <laughs> which was the Gears' first album, Son of Red Rocket Seven, and okay. um, our second album is Left of Center of the Universe, and we're working on our third album right now, the the Insane Sane. So, uh, always bigger and better is what we're looking for. Cool, cool. Well, one last question we always ask all of our interviewees on the Bone Bat Show. Mike, what pisses you off? Mm, ignorance. Just people that are unnecessarily cruel and stupid and stop progress. That pisses me off. When I see the potential that we have as uh, the human race, and I just see ignorance 
trying to stop that progress at every turn, that pisses me off. Nice way to end, man. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you spending a few minutes here on the Bone Bat Show. Thank you for your interest. You betcha. <laughs> up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. Be a select start. I'm trying to unlock your heart from years of walls. And when Hyrule falls, I'm hoping that the things I do are working to connect with you. I see that you're free with my shop. I'd like for you to know my name They call me Box 138 I think we are due for a walk Cause like me you pull from the middle Skip the books up on the top So up, up, down, down Left, right, left, right Be a select start I'm trying to unlock your heart From years of walls And when Hyrule falls I'm hoping that the things I do Are working to connect with I wish I could know what you dream Are you flying high without a care? Do people often stop and stare? Cause you're both a girl and a fan I bet it's hard to join the rest With fanboys staring at your chest So up, up, down, down Left, right, left, right Be a select star I'm trying to unlock your heart from years of walls And when Hyrule falls I'm hoping that the I do, we're working to connect with you And even though it's improbable It seems that this could go my way I should take a risk Then like Wilson Fisk Be the kingpin of this day Then you turn around and say hello And everything's okay Talked about while sipping on again a stout until we drove back to your place. I said we should do it again. That's when you stab me with a pin because you planned to murder me. Cause you've been stalking me for weeks and then you shoved me in your house and punched me hard right in the mouth and warned me that I shouldn't scream or you got me like Wolverine. The state to turn out kind of sucky. I thought I was getting lucky, not cut up in little bits. Served up as your favorite dish She's a man-eater, I'm toast Just like the song from Holland Notes The fluids by the temptations Played on the 60s in every station I don't know where the song will end But I don't care because I'm dead Whoa, because I'm dead Whoa, because I'm dead Whoa, because I'm dead Whoa Hi, this is Michael Orward, and you're listening to The Bone Bat Show. All right, once again, we are back. Thank you to Chris Robertson and Mike Allred. It was a pleasure to speak to both of you. And uh, thank you for your thoughts on iZombie. And thanks for the great reading, man. What a great story. As they mentioned, issue 28 will be the last in this run. And it will be wrapped up in some trades probably by end of summer, early fall, something like that. So keep an eye peeled for that, and you can complete the story. Following that, of course, was the mighty Kirby Crackle with Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right, Left, Right, B.A. Select Start, from the album Kirby Crackle. 
Now it's time for one of my favorite parts of the show, Gord's Political Rant. Hey, that's me. You know, my political rant stems from my worry about you and your family up there in Washington. (laughs) Really? Why so? Because the Washington Health Department is issuing a warning about whooping cough up there, saying it's it's spreading throughout the country and it's it's extremely contagious and it's especially prevalent in the state of Washington. It's nasty shit. And the reason it's spreading is because so many people have failed to immunize their children. And it's one of those immunizations you get that wears off. Like the way we control it is that we immunize all the kids and we just keep it at bay that way. And the fact that there's a bunch of adults with pretty marginal whooping cough immunity isn't really an issue because it's not going around so very much. But uh, there's all these goddamn stinking unwashed hippies that think they know something (laughs) that they haven't immunized their kids. If I get whooping cough, I am going to go on a hippie thumping rampage. Listen, people, the last time, immunize your goddamn children. I recall that, that like when we were of the age now, I mean, I think we're past most of our shots for both of my kids, but there was a time there where the doctors would be, okay, this you have to get and this you have to get. You got to get a dip tap and a whatever, but there are a couple of these shots that you can make the call on. You can either get it or not get it. And anybody yeah, who's t- get it. anybody who's taken their kid to get now you're kind of a hard ass dad, so probably I can imagine <laughs> you asking for more shots than the kids need. But you know, I've been in the room there with my kid tears coming down his face and he's just finished up the third shot. And I could see maybe not asking for the fourth and the fifth at that point. It's a yeah, pretty brutal, you know what? It's brutal I'd rather road maybe to home. my kid doesn't cry so much. And have him die horribly later. Yeah, right. <laughs> Hell. Well, they wouldn't. Kind of they wouldn't leave you? it. I'm not a fucking medical student, nor am I. Do I have any sort of a doctorate? So I wouldn't think they would leave anything up to me if it was really that critical. That's right. Listen to the doctor. Are you a doctor? No. Am I'm I not, a doctor? I'm not no. Saying I, I am. listen to the doctors. <laughs> if four out of five, you know, dentists survey recommend sugarless gum for their patients who chew gum. God damn it, if I chewed gum, I'd chew some sugarless fucking gum. I'm really swearing tonight, aren't I? You're really something. What is it about people who, the people, here's my new corollary to one of my many laws. Okay. The people who pay the least attention in school are the most likely to hold firm beliefs about the subjects that they ignored. (laughs) Yeah, well. Everything is political now, and why is it that scientific belief is somehow aligned with your political belief? Look, hippies, if you believe it when a doctor tells you that orange juice might help you beat down the common cold, you need to believe it when the doctor tells you to immunize your kid. It's not a right-wing corporate conspiracy. You aren't just endangering your little Shasta Nepali Stardust Jr. No, you're putting our whole herd at risk and knock it off. Swear, hippies. And, you know, it's not just the left wing hippie unwashed people it's the right wing nuts are just as bad let's talk fracking drill baby drill fracking is just first of all it's hugely beneficial to our economy and okay explain fracking is in battlestar galactica fracking no 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 fracking is in getting trapped oil and natural gas out of the ground in places that we were hard to to get at earlier it's 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 fracturing hydraulic fracturing of the of the ground 
beneath our feet to what get What kind of a tool stuff. do they use to fracture the ground? I'll get into that. I'll tell you. Okay. I've, in fact, I, I thought you might ask how it all works, and so I've set up a model here in my studio. First of all, you got to know that fracking is way, way, way beneficial to our economy. It's one of the reasons we are pulling out of the slump, no doubt. And if you're into energy independence, it's absolutely putting us on the right track for that. However, it's also absolutely just fracking up the very earth on which we live and the water that we drink. But if you lean to the right, somehow you don't believe in geology. I'm not sure how that works. Here's what fracking is. Deep underground, deep, there's oil and natural gas, and it's hard to get. And it's all mixed up with other rocks and stuff, and there's and it's surrounded by big, nigh-impermeable layers of rock that separate it from you and it from the groundwater. So the frackers, they bust up everything down there with explosions and heat and pump huge volumes of water and chemicals down to, to force the stuff back out. And while it forces out the gas and oil, it also really mixes up and mashes up and generally fucks up everything else down there, which wouldn't be an issue at all, except that we have to live on top of it and drink the water that comes out of it but that reality seems to be lost on the people on the right hand side of the political spectrum so here's my little model i've assembled this model of subterranean world to demonstrate why this might be a problem so perhaps the right wing can visualize it in a non-scientific manner first i've got this dinner plate and it represents the layer of bedrock now on the plate i've got a mixture of corn nuts and, uh, and I'm going to pour on just a little bit of beet juice from, you know, beets. Okay. So the beet juice, that represents the oil and natural gas that we want. And the corn nuts, that's all uh, the dinosaur skulls and rocks and other shit that's, that's mixed up in there. Okay. But the, the beet juice is the oh-so-nutritious yet nasty oil and natural gas that we crave. Now, on top of this plate, put another dinner plate upside down. So that represents more bedrock. Get it? The plates of the bedrock. Inside this flying saucer-looking thing is the beet juice and the corn nuts. And that's all the, the oil mixed up with the stuff that's not oil that we want to get. Okay. And it's it's hard. Now, on top of that, I have balanced a bowl, which represents more bedrock. In that bowl, I'm putting some water. All right, now. So that's the water table. From yeah, which the water we get is, well, the, the water, water right? that we drink. Right. And there's a sponge in the bowl, and I've got a drinking straw, and I've stabbed the drinking straw into the sponge, and ta-da, that is your drinking well. Okay, okay. you got it. You got a plate, top of another plate. On top of all that's a bowl. Oh, shit, I'm spilling our water table here. And a well. Now, all this is like deep underground. Picture a whole bunch of ground on top of this, these plates and stuff. Okay. Okay. There's all this dirt and there's soil and like pirate treasure and stuff. But you get the idea. Now, to get to that nasty beet juice, you need to do some fracking. So, so let's frack. I just picked up my handy hammer and I'm going to beat the shit out of this. Ta-da! No more pesky obstacles. You just take the resulting slurry, 
filter out the not beet juice bits, all the ceramic and everything else, and you got your oil. And you may wonder why your drinking water is so hard to get at now and tastes a lot like beet and shattered porcelain. That <laughs> is fracking. So good for us economically, maybe not so very good for us in the long run, and maybe some of you guys that lean to the right now have a better of understanding of what the hippies are saying when they go, no fracking, man, because there's going to be some consequences. As much as I want there to be a better economy and as much as I want there to be energy independence, I think when you start kicking out some of the lower levels of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, trying to get to the higher levels, you're in trouble. As much as I want those things, I also want to be able to drink water that isn't poison. Uh, I want to live in a place where... There's sinkholes aren't opening sinkholes up around just you. Open up. They're, they're, <laughs> they're pointing at things like earthquakes, sudden wells drying up, wells becoming contaminated, pointing right to this. And it doesn't take a brain surgeon to, to figure out what's going on. You're really doing some pretty spectacular changes to an area that you depend on not changing very much. And we as a society aren't really equipped for big things to change like that. When all of a sudden your drinking water ain't drinkable anymore, that's a problem. Yeah, now, I'm not completely against it. I want to say that in the right areas, it's got to be a good thing. Places where it's not too heavily populated. If there's a place where it doesn't matter if there's some extra earthquakes, if the ground settles, if there's not a bunch of wells sunk into the ground. Yeah, yeah, I think that you can probably do fracking and not mess up the surface world. But overall, to do it in a wide-scale, unregulated world and to totally dismiss any objections as some sort of a left-wing, commie, hate America ploy is a bunch of bullshit. I think I made a mess. All right. Well, uh, while you clean that up, why don't we do another interview? I was lucky enough at Emerald City Comic Con to bump into the one, the only Robert Kirkman of The Walking Dead. Dude, total fanboy geek out moment. And here is our discussion. All right, once again, this is Steve from the Bone Bad Show here at Emerald City Comic Con 2012, and I just luckily bumped into Robert Kirkman of Walking Dead fame. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you? Very well. Now, I'll keep this brief. Question we always ask all of our interviewees on the Bone Bad Show. Dude, what pisses you off? Uh, I mean, next to nothing, honestly. Uh, I'm a pretty mellow guy. There are a lot of things that annoy me that are stupid. Uh, I can't stand it when people say slaw instead of coleslaw. (laughs) I don't like it when people call me Bob or Rob or Bert or any other abbreviation of Robert because they can't seem to understand why anyone would want to just go by Robert. That kind of bugs me. But uh, uh, I don't like it when people say 2012 instead of 2012. That really irks me. Uh, So it's like stuff like that. But, I mean, nothing really pisses me off. It's just like, oh, I wish you hadn't done that. That's unfortunate. Say coleslaw. It's not that hard. I'll do it from now on. I've learned my lesson, sir. Various abbreviations (laughs) aggravate me. So, so yeah. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thanks a lot. Shoddy, 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 won't you add them breeze? Math is a difficult thing. If you're having trouble, you can count on me. See, numbers can set you free. I get the frustration with the situation. I'm here to bring that joy to all the girls and boys who have more fun when they sing this song. 
I wanna see that booty do math. Addition, subtraction, let me see them fractions. I wanna see that booty do math. Won't you subdivide them, multiply and times them? I wanna see that booty do math. I wanna see that booty do math. I wanna see that booty do math. I wanna see that booty do booty do. I wanna see that booty do booty do. Baby, 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 what's your rate of change? Numbers can be insane. Factor root sums and you'll go far. Just like these old math stars. Stephen Hawking, Newton, Pythagoras, Euclid. Two plus nine's eleven. Minus four is seven. Oh, I could go on and on. Instead, let's sing this song. Addition, subtraction. Let me see the fractions. I wanna see that booty do math. Won't you subdivide them, multiply and times them? I wanna see that booty do math. Arithmetic sequence, call me on the weekend. Practice polynomials, and I know we all will come together and sing this song. I wanna see that booty do math. I wanna see that booty do math. I wanna see that booty do math. I wanna see that booty do booty do. These numerators add them. Is the function of we add in the root of C for the family tree, and I hope that just a fraction of my love can be reciprocal. Cosign my words, know these feelings are so critical. Baby girl, I run my protractor over each and every parabola. Been working it out, haven't ya? Let's go and measure the circumference of the Earth. You make it such a joy to go and double check my work. Here we go. When the booty do maths, like I truly gotta have it, and you're schooling me at calculus, ruining my averages. <laughs> check these feelings when you add and subtract, like that. I wanna see that booty do math. Addition, subtraction, let me see the fractions. I wanna see that booty do math. Won't you subdivide them, multiply and times them? I wanna see that booty do math. Arithmetic sequence, call me on the weekend. Practice polynomials, then I know we all will come together and come together and come together and come together and. Addition, subtraction, let me see the fractions. I wanna see that booty do math. Divide 'em, multiply and times 'em. I wanna see that booty do math. Arithmetic sequence, call me on the weekend. Practice polynomials, and I know we all will come together and sing this song. I wanna see that booty do math. I wanna see that booty do math. I wanna see that booty do math. I wanna see that booty do booty do booty do. Once again, Steve here at Emerald City Comic Con 2012. Just going to catch up here with Tim Seeley. How's it been going, man? It's been a couple of years. At least a few. Yeah, it's been going really well. Doing lots of stuff at Image. Got uh, Hack Slash still going. Got Witchblade, Bloodstrike. And then we announced a new book today called Revival uh, that we're doing at Image. So, yeah, keeping busy. What's Revival? Tell me about this new one. Uh, it is a, uh, it's a horror comic, a horror crime comic, uh, set in a small town in rural Wisconsin where, for one day, for whatever reason, uh, 23 people come back from the dead. And uh, Just the number 23. Just 23. And it's kind of about the cops who are charged with policing these people that seem like the people that we loved, and, and they're not zombies. They, they seem like themselves, but there's something wrong. And basically the town is on quarantine, so it's very much a uh, pressure cooker of people like stuck in this small town and it's winter and they're not allowed to leave. It's like cabin fever across an entire city while they're dealing with 
people who are back from the dead for mysterious reasons. So. Very cool. Are you doing both the writing and the illustration um, on this I'm one? Just writing that one, and a guy, really good comic book artist by the name of Mike Norton is drawing. Who's uh, Mike Norton? Yeah, you yeah. guys are real tight, right? Yeah, we're studio mates, and this was kind of a book that he and I knew we wanted to work on something for years, and uh, it was just kind of coming up. We, we both could get really into, and this was that project. It was something that we were both passionate about doing, like a. Uh, we really wanted both, both wanted to do like a small town crime story. Like that was our, that was kind of what we were interested in. And this was like the perfect thing to combine some horror elements and some commentary, a little bit of, you know, sort of all the things that we want to do in one concentrated package. So, fantastic. Well, you've piqued my interest. When is this one hitting? It comes out in July. There's a four-page uh, thing in the free comic book day image book. Uh, we have a, a story that exclusive to that that comes out in um, in May so get a little uh, taste and then we start the series in, Ju- in July so fantastic cool. I'm looking forward to it what's going on in the pages of Hackslash these days oh man yeah we're in the middle of a uh, giant monster story called Monster Baiting but it's kind of a status quo shaker upper it's going to uh, sort of set the new tone for the series because the character Sam Hain who's kind of been a sort of a good slasher character uh, if you read the book spoiler alert he basically by the end, at the end of issue 14, we found out he's kind of back to what he was. And his mind's got scrambled by psychic dinosaurs. If that doesn't make you interested, I don't know what does. But, uh, yeah, so, and then 15 comes out, I think, next week, or maybe the week after that. And uh, then we got two issues that are written by the guy uh, who wrote Luther Strode, uh, Justin Jordan's writing two issues. And then we're going to have a couple little uh, other guest art writers, and then I'm going to start my big story arc. My big six-issue story arc. So, All right, so lots yeah. of great stuff coming up. Lots, yeah. Too much, probably, but <laughs> doing what I can. All right, well, why don't we wrap this up with our usual traditional question. Tim, what pisses you off? Oh, man. Okay, when you're walking on the con floor and, like, people huddle around to take a costume picture, you know, some cosplay picture, and they're just completely oblivious to the fact that they're bought tribe because they're so fascinated by a guy dressed up as, like, you know, a stormtrooper. For Christ's sake, we've seen it before. Keep walking, motherfuckers. That's all I have to say about that. So. What about motherfuckers hitting you in the eye with their wings? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, at least that's usually, like, at least the wings, like, they don't stop traffic as much as, like, you know, the, the whole, yeah, like, everyone's standing around. Or, like, when people are like, you guys get together. I want stormtroopers to meet Doctor Who. It's amazing. It's like, ugh. That is the one thing, though, about this con. Having the big foyer thing, yeah, a lot of that is sort of there. Yeah. So yeah. you don't have it quite as much in the halls, but it absolutely still yeah. happens. I mean, it's not like San Diego Comic Con. Basically, you can't get through because everyone's got everyone's got to stand there and gawk at the uh, the Spider Man with the bag on his head. That's you know whatever. It's like, yeah. But this is much better. You're right. And but then you does. have the people with the baby carriages going. Uh, yeah. San Diego. I, that always blew my mind that you would see that. How terrified that kid must be just looking around like, what the fuck is going on? So yeah. After you've seen like your you know six hundred nutsack. Yeah. yeah, totally. <laughs> oh my god. You have to really wonder. You're just at crotch level for all these unbathed dudes. It's like, that's not, that's a sad kid, man. All right, man. Well, thanks again for speaking with us. It's always a pleasure, Tim. Good to talk to you, Steve. Once again, that was Robert Kirkman, followed by Booty Do Math from Kirby Crackle, off their brand new one, Super Powered Love. And after that, we had a short visit with Tim Seeley of Hackslash, who I yeah. spent a few moments catching up with. Dude, he's one of my favorite guys in comics. He's always a pleasure to speak to. And that new series, Revival, sounds freaking awesome. Can't wait to read it. So while we're on the subject of Comic-Con, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, what I did on Sunday. I went in early, and it was funny. I was going to see an acoustic set from Kirby Crackle, 
kind of to prepare me for our interview. And uh, I caught the tail end of, like, it was called The Great Geek Off. It was like a nerd version of Family Feud. Right on. Where they had, like, a couple groups of people, and they were asking questions like, name the top five superhero girlfriends, or name the top six superhero battle cries. And it was just totally fun. I had a great time watching that for a few minutes. It was totally entertaining. Then following that, I uh, saw Kirby Crackle, and uh, it was a, a great little kind of short, concise acoustic set. A lot of fun. And then after that, you're going to envy this one. I went to the Axe Cop panel. Oh, my God. That's great. So, dude, it was Malachi and Ethan Nicole, who, if you don't know, you're the big Axe Cop fan. So explain who does Axe Cop. Well, it's... I believe that they are brothers, but it's yes, essentially a little kid spinning his stories and an adult drawing them. Yes. And it's so, like an eight-year-old boy, and you know the imaginations eight-year-old boys have, just non-seguitor all over the place, tell a story. And then a, a very competent illustrator who illustrates the adventures of Axe Cop. <laughs> and Axe Cop being exactly that, a cop with an axe. He'll chop off your head and take your stuff. Yeah, he chops off bad guys' heads. And evidently, from what we learned in the panel, he becomes president of the world. Oh, excellent. I can't think of a better world. And he lives in a gold house (laughs) instead of a white house because a gold house is better. Yeah. And the third volume just hit, and there's all kinds of great reading. But seeing an eight-year-old run a panel was absolute mayhem. The kid had a big bowl of candy in front of him because, you know, oh, they, oh they, they leave like the candy out for the panelists. And so he's eating candy and he's yelling at people and he's having just a great time. Everybody in the room's cracking up. And it was it was just awesome. At one point, one of the fans come out, out to ask a question. And they ask, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he says, a magician. Everybody close their eyes. <laughs> Sir, I see your eyes are still open. Close them. Yes. And the, the older brother, Ethan, is sitting there going, just do it. We're never going to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and so he runs and, like, hides behind the screen and goes, open them. <laughs> <laughs> it was fantastic. And then another guy comes up and asks if uh, Axe Cop will ever get married. And somebody, you know, he's like, no. And somebody in the audience says, maybe he'll marry Soccer Rang. And Malachi, like, gets, like, angry. He says, who said that? Come up here right now. <laughs> <laughs> and he, like, so this, this poor kid comes up there shambling to the front. And then Malachi gives him candy. It was absolutely just mayhem, dude. It was one of the most entertaining highlights to any con I've ever been to. That's and it was great because one. Chris Straub from, you know, works with Scott Kurtz on the Chris and Scott show. Mm-hmm. Was supposed to be the moderator. And he was just standing there shaking his head the whole time. There was nothing he could do. He was literally powerless in this panel. That's awesome. So, yes, Axe Cop's a lot of fun. You need to check it out. It's totally entertaining. Following that, uh, in the afternoon, I checked out a Dark Horse panel. And uh, Mike Avon Oming of Powers fame, who we've interviewed also here on the show a couple of times, a good friend of the show, he actually has a very interesting new series coming out called Victories. And the way he described it in the panel was that I I guess he was, like, seeing a therapist for, like, some panic attack issues last year. 
And he was kind of riding his way through it. And this comic is the result that basically it's a, a group of superheroes whose power stems from, like, the fucked up psychological shit that has happened to them in their lives. And it's um, kind of asks and answers those human questions of, you know, would you get rid of the things that make you what you are if it would alleviate some of the pain you've had to go through? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it has kind of those deep psychological issues, but in a superhero book. I guess one of the main heroes is called the Phallicist, who originally (laughs) is designed had actually the exposed penis in his costume. Which Great. is no longer the case. But I'm absolutely <laughs> curious to see where this goes. Because everything the guy does, I've really enjoyed. So it's going to have definitely a new twist for comics. And Jeremy, who's the marketing guy from Dark Horse, described it as the most fucked up thing he's ever read. Oh, well that's saying something. Exactly. So yeah, he would know, right? So yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. We spoke with Mike. The comic is going to debut this summer. So we're going to get together with him and do an interview on the show just before that releases to talk a little bit more about it. So keep an ear peeled for that, I guess you'd say. Keep some organ peeled. Yeah, peel that shit. Or else the phallicist is coming for you. (laughs) (laughs) You said coming. I did. Uh, Who else did I talk to? I uh, visited with John Lehman for a few moments, who says the fifth volume of Chew is coming out uh, in a couple of weeks. So keep on it better. Yeah, watch for that because that series is awesome, of course. Also, uh, I got to visit with Greg Rucka for a few minutes. Uh, He's got a new novel hitting in May that's called Alpha, which is a completely new series for him. So it's not Kodiak. It's not Queen and Country. It's a new thing. And uh, I'm looking forward to that because that guy can write. He also mentioned that uh, he's going to have Stumptown. Matthew Southworth, the illustrator, is just finishing up on the second run of that now. So we should have some more Stumptown soon. The one thing I was bummed about, though, is it sounds like because he's got all these other projects going, Queen and Country, the next arc of that is going to be another year. So, Oh, wow. But, uh, yeah, a lot of great stuff on the horizon, man. If you're a comic book fan, there's there's a lot of good reading coming soon. Yeah. Sounds like it. Jeez. Maybe you couple that also. Tim Seeley's revival. Good stuff coming. So is Emerald City Comic Con becoming huge? Is it going to be the next San Diego Comic Con? You know, it was Saturday was actually, it's getting to the point where it was uncomfortably packed. Hmm. Walking down the aisles are getting more tough. But, you know, they didn't have the upstairs like PAX does. There was some some other event going on upstairs where they have the different panel rooms. If they were to expand up into that, I think they'd be fine. There's there's room in the building for them to do that, but well, it, it was tight. There were times when you're trying to get through the floor and you know you you were having trouble getting where you're going. But the the beauty of it is more and more creators are moving to Seattle and Portland all the time, and man, does this show get the firepower. And, I mean, I didn't even go to things like George Takei was there doing a signing and a lot of other celebrities. I I don't go to that stuff. I mean, I try to limit my standing in line time. The longest I stood in line was I stood in line for a half hour to get my uh, book signed by Tim Sale. 
I have Spider-Man Blue and Hulk Gray and Daredevil Yellow, which are just these amazing Marvel stories, and I really wanted to get those signed. And so I, I stood in line and got those autographed. But that was the longest I stood in line for anything. And I, I just can't see, you know, time is a premium. There's so many great creators to talk to and so many great panels to go to. Why spend hours standing in line? I just can't justify it in my mind. But yeah, a lot of people totally do it, do. and, you know, if you want to go and get... You know, every year there's awesome people to get your picture taken with and to meet. And if that's your cup of tea, that is there for you, too. So I would definitely say that Emerald City Comic Con is just a shining example of a well-run con in the Northwest. And it's kind of a must-see for all comic fans. you got to go. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool, man. Yeah, maybe one of these years you'll happen to be up here. It could happen. So I go up there. So as we discussed, uh, Kirby Crackle, our musical guest this episode, I had a chance to speak with Kyle, and uh, here we go. Once again, this is Steve from the Bone Bat Show here at Emerald City Comic Con 2012 with Kyle Stevens, the frontman for the mighty Kirby Crackle. The, I guess you'd call him the fully accredited nerd rock kings. Fully accredited kings. Oh, now, since you won the Battle of the Band, isn't that a that's accreditation of a sort, isn't it? <laughs> that was a lot of fun. It was cool because we don't normally get to. I mean, we kind of feel like we're our own little island sometimes. But we know H2 Awesome and Adam Warrock, and then nerd bands come out of the woodwork every once in a while. We just want to be friends with everybody because. It's just better for nerd music the more people that do it. Absolutely, yeah. that's that's definitely true. So now I know that I guess your superpower would be the pop hook, but also the other uh, main linchpin of the band is Jim Dimonakis. Yes. Now he doesn't join you on stage, but his presence is absolutely felt in the music. Definitely. So talk a little bit about how your uh, creative process works in Kirby Crackle. Well, we, we find that most Kirby Crackle songs come about when one of us says something that makes the other person laugh. or like, how about this idea? You know, that kind of thing. And so what we do is like every every record starts with us sitting down, uh, me on the acoustic guitar and him at the computer, and we just kind of, I have riffs that I start playing, and he has, you know, ideas with words and I have a deal with words and he will though he's not a musician in terms of that he plays he does contribute to the words and also some of the hooks when we play off each other so we've kind of developed this weird kind of symbiotic relationship and it's, it works well for what we do that's really cool yeah of course I'm a fan of some of your acoustical bass work like up up down down love that song marvelous yeah. girls but what I really love is crunchy power pop oh, and it seems like with each album you guys get progressively harder is, yeah. <laughs> is it like was that a conscious decision or is it a natural outgrowth of having a really rock and live band to play off of well, what we did is we recorded the first record. It was in my bedroom, and it was just kind of like on a small little system because we didn't want to go to the studio and spend a bunch of money until we knew, like, okay, does this work? Will people even like this? Because we thought people would really like it or they would really hit it. There would be no, like, in, in between, you know? And so we kind of dipped our toes in it, and then when it was time to do Eat For Everyone, our second record, like, that's always been my wheelhouse is Power Pop. So then we got together a big, you know, amount to go to the studio. I'm like, let's make a rock record. And I, it was really fun to have people being surprised Surprise, thinking like, wow, you guys learned how to do that. Well, that was always what I did before, okay, before okay, the acoustic sure. thing. And then each record we say, okay, how can we get a little harder? You know, we're not getting metal or anything, but it seems like people really like Great Lakes Avengers or I Want to Live in a World Full of Heroes and just like the snarly kind of stuff. And that's fun to do too. Yeah, well, especially yeah. live, because even Up, Up, Down, Down, 
you kick it into gear. I mean, yeah. when I saw you guys at the Nectar a couple yeah, of months yeah. ago, yeah, yeah. I mean, you just rage at the end of that tune, and it's really fun because it starts out kind of mellow and yeah, then yeah. rock. Yeah, then the whole world blows up at the end. Exactly. Now, us nerd folks, mm-hmm. yeah. being sexy isn't necessarily our strong suit, but you always manage to fit a little uh. bit of sexy times into the album. You got Can I Watch You, yeah. uh, the new comic shop, yeah, also a booty do math, yes. man. You're yeah. rocking that. <laughs> well, I... Not to even try to compare at all, but the only example that comes to mind or that I always think of, that if I learn from the, the Beatles at all, like the thing I feel like I've learned from them is they always had happy music with dark words. And that was always the thing I kind of Maxwell Silver Hammer, right? Yeah, yeah. So just try to put a little bit of something in songs and nothing that's going to... Because we try to be an all-ages band, right? So we do... We work with innuendo sometimes and stuff, but really it's just fun. And, and you know, rollovers a little like that, but... We're not Barry Whites, but we <laughs> will pretend for a second. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you squint a little bit. Yeah, squint a little bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, and, you know, with Booty Do Math yeah. and Mix-A-Lots, Baby Got Back, can yeah. we just name Seattle the booty-shaking capital of the world just right now? I'm down with that. You know, at the Geek Wire, Geek Battle of the Bands, like a moment that I was really, really looking forward to was when uh, Sir mix was on the panel of judges. It was Sir mix the head of GeekWire.com. And uh, Jason Finn, the drummer for the Presidents. Yeah, the Presidents. How cool is that? Yeah, yeah. So I knew, I was like, okay, no, we're going to do booty do math, and I hope Mix likes it. You know, we were even predicting what's he going to say at the end, you know, because they all did, had to do comments, like, on The Voice for American Idol. Yeah, we thought sure, he was sure, sure. something like, I know booty song, so that is okay, or something. <laughs> and he said something like that, you know, but anyways, that was kind of a surreal trip that that happened. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Now, speaking of romance, yeah. one of the things I notice when I hear a band I really love, almost inevitably... What is the deal with a Gibson guitar through a Marshall stack? I gotta go classic, man. I've never, I've never been a guy who needs a lot of pedals. That, that works really well for some people. Works really well for my guitar player. Like he can solo like a mother, and I can't. So I'm just like, you go and you do what you got to do, and I just plug in and play. And it's like I just, I just like clean and distorted, and that, that just sounds kind of works. magical, man. Thanks. Yeah, I just like a big, you know, I, I, I think that is vitamins that keep you young I think in a way yeah absolutely and rock. Yeah. yeah and you find out that a lot of bands that like they have that in common it's like a Gibson guitar through a Marshall well, it's classic yeah it's almost like Pete Townsend it's Jimmy Page and I think it's like you know from the masters that's just something that it just looks cool absolutely yeah. absolutely so and that's we, the most important thing of all yeah looking look cool right look cool absolutely. Than the sound cool. <laughs> So with your uh, songwriting, yeah. now I, I've noticed that you write some Marvel tunes. Yeah. You've got some DC tunes in there. But there's a decided Marvel slant there, I think. Yeah, yeah. Now, do, you, do the fanboys ever come up and kind of call you on the carpet? Did they want more DC music? Yeah, sometimes they do, you know. And, and so our, our whole thing from the beginning is we're only going to write about what we know or what we feel like a, a passionate connection to. And so I grew up mostly Marvel, like, in my formative years and stuff like that. So I just got to say that up front. And I love the DC, too. Obviously, like, Green Lantern because of ring capacity you know and uh, the Justice League and I love the 52 that's happening and we try to throw that into everything but as far as like what we feel long term connection to is Marvel stuff but we know that the comic world is much more than Marvel stuff so that's what we try to do stuff that appeals to all but we have to feel like we can sing about it with integrity first so I think often because of that that falls more on the Marvel end of things okay, sure. but you know we need diversity just like everybody sure sure yeah. now I'm assuming that you still keep a box live what are you subscribing I to do. what are you reading these days uh, I'm reading Always Walking Dead you know right now I'm splitting my uh, my pull list between digital and just print so I, I've dropped some books on print, picking up more on digital, like Walking Dead, Invincible I do on digital, some of the Vertigo books. 
books, but you know, I'm always getting the hard copies of Avengers, New Avengers, loving all that stuff. Uh, really getting into Animal Man, Animal Man for the first time, Swamp Thing, and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm a Vertigo guy from way back yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, so cool, cool, cool. There's yeah, a lot of good yeah, stuff. Yeah, Punisher, of course, and you know, I get, I can't go full digital because if I lose the smell every week, <laughs> I need to have that. That would be sad. I try to smell my iPad as much as I can, but it doesn't. It's not the same. <laughs> not quite the same. Like I guess you could always go back to the long box and crack open a couple of bags every once that's in a while. True, that's to, true. It's not the same. It's I need there. The new, though. I need the new smell. <laughs> Okay, and you know, almost as important to the Bone Bat show as independent music yes. and comics is beer. Yes. And it's come to my attention, that I should have noticed from the music that you kind of name drop some different beverages of choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, lately you have a site, right, uh, devoted to homebrewing. Yeah, I, I just started a new, I, I do too many things and not any of them very well. So no, I do, I do a new blog called Yeast Mode. Someone might, I just like, what should I call a beer blog? And he's like, yeast mode. You that's know, awesome. Beast mode, yeah. Other beast. So um, that's where I just review beers, but I'm a, I'm a home brewer, and so I'm in the process, actually, of looking into starting a nano brewery in Seattle. Oh, nice. Yeah, so in Shoreline, you know, there's it's a great time for craft beer right now, and it's kind of just another extension of alchemy and creativity. And actually, before the show here, I was running around with a backpack full of homebrew, and it was just, like, <laughs> scandalous. Like, I'm handing out moonshine to everybody. On Twitter, I'm always talking about My friends are like, you better bring me some or I don't want to see any more talking about it so I had a backpack of 22s around here earlier so what was the batch what did you make I made a strong ale nice and it was uh, 9.2 like a nut brown or a lighter thing uh, like almost like a Belgian uh, 9.2% I told people I said don't drink this all in one sitting if you're, if you're going out like that <laughs> so last night on Twitter's like damn it Stevens I'm crunk in my hotel room and you can't do that <laughs> that I rooted him I did not no. so no I tried to brew every week and I would talk about beer for hours but we don't have hours well that's another podcast yeah, that's another podcast, yeah. Okay, well, yeah, it's like I said, I've noticed you dropping IPA in some of your songs. Oh, Guinness yeah, yeah. is mentioned. Yeah. So when are you going to find a rhyme for Triple Bach, I guess? I'll get back to you on that. Yeah. Well, actually, we, we just did, the, uh, we did a tour with Adam Warrock. We went up and down the, the West Coast. And I'm like, okay, man, you know, trying to be like very open about like, where do you want to eat? I'll go eat wherever. You can do some stuff. I want to do some stuff. He's like, you pick the whole time. I'm like, fine, let's go stop at every brewery on the way down. So every like cool brewery I ever wanted to see, I got to meet the people. It was awesome. It was like beer and comic nerd music tour. It was a good time. Very cool, yeah, very cool. Yeah. So you've got Super Powered Love is yeah. out now. Yeah. You just had a little tour. you got Emerald City Comic Con. What's next for Kirby Crackle? Uh, well, we want to do a couple singles. And we had someone who had recently, uh, we never talked about this before. We'll talk about it here. Someone wrote a musical for us. Based no on, kidding. Based on our music. And it's badass. And a gentleman in uh, Toronto. And so that is something that we would like to maybe have at the end of the year happen. Um, so it's kind of, a, not so Dr. Horribly, it's kind of about love found and lost at a convention. And. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool, and he's a genius, and so we're excited about that. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a big year. I mean, you, like you say, you got a lot going on on top of it. You're you're kind of carrying Death Star and their new album. I mean, and they're oh. big guys. That's not easy. Well, I don't know. I'm carrying. I mean, they, they, they asked me. <laughs> I'm to, kidding, yeah. of course. We love Death Star. Yeah, yeah we love Death Star. No, no, they asked me to do it, and I was like, cool, man. You know, we got to get them on our next record and stuff like that. We love having guest stars on our record, and I was like honored they asked me. And, and so I did do the chorus uh, in uh, Broken Robots. Broken Robots, yep. And uh, Klopp and Pop did the production on that, and I really like it. I think it turned out really good. Yeah, it's yeah, a great team. Great guys. Yeah, we, we kicked out the tour of them in Seattle. I was there. The it was a great show. Yeah, we were. <laughs> all right. Well, one last question. We yeah. always ask all of our interviewees here on the Bone Bat Show is, Kyle, what pisses you off? Pisses me off today. 
creeper dudes that walk around here focusing in on girls' boobs without telling them that's what they're taking pictures of. And I try to bust those dudes. I don't know what it says about me. I'm a narc for creepers. You're a superhero. Yes. Right? 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 Yeah, well, I'll do what I can do. I want to live in a world full of heroes. Yeah. i got to thank you again because that, thanks, that tune has been this personal soundtrack of my con this weekend. So thanks. And thank you for spending time with us on the Bone Bat Show. Thank you very much, man. To find my place I'm guarding 2814 I don't know why it's chosen me From the corner of my eye I catch a glimpse of evil light The fear tries to swallow me Like I'm just some guy with an emerald Ring capacity 90.1 Ring capacity 79 Ring capacity 68.5 And now I'm fighting for my life Ring from Kirby Crackle and you're listening to The Bone Bat Show. Once again, Steve from The Bone Bat Show here at Emerald City Comic Con 2012 and I have the pleasure to visit for a few moments here with Matt Inman of The Oatmeal. How's it going, man? It's going good. It's been a fun con. 
this, you've been busy. I've seen every time I walk by your booth, you've got a long-ass line. Yeah, apparently uh, people like poop jokes a lot. So <laughs> I think so. Now, to that point, uh, my co-host Gord is a web cartoonist as well, and you know we often will trade each other funny stuff that we find on the internet each day. And you have been on fire lately. The SOPA bit, the uh, Game of Thrones bit, and motherfucking pterodactyl was amazing. Settle a bet here. I think that you've actually sold your soul to the devil. Gord says it's more of a pagan animal sacrifice thing. Which is it? Probably the animals, most likely. <laughs> Probably the pagan animal sacrifice. Yeah. But your your quality is really high. I mean, do you have uh, like a, just your self editorial process, or how do you keep it going with just great stuff all the time? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the editorial process is I just uh, just make things that I like that I would want to read and put them out there. Nobody ever reads them before the web. Like I, ninety nine percent of my comics that debut, no one's ever read them except me when they hit the internet. So I try to avoid any sort of. Uh, Outside, outside influence into it. So nice. Okay. Well, Gord wanted to know. He asked, uh, "Do you actually correct other people's grammar and conversation, or do you simply dick punch them?" Actually, I'm I'm not pedantic at all. I, I only do grammar comics because I want to make them kind of a utility for people, including me, who aren't that good at grammar. So when people screw up or email me, they're always so terrified. Like, oh, Mule, I'm sorry if I screwed up something. I'm like, no, I'm not a grammar person at all. I just happen to make comics about a few things that I think people could improve on. So it's a learning tool. Absolutely. It's for the utility of it. Oatmeal's educational. I knew that there was an educational aspect. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Are you expecting at any time soon a formal endorsement from Sriracha? Um, maybe, yeah. Actually, I want to start making all kinds of new sriracha stuff. Like, I want to make sriracha chocolate. And I found a company locally that can do that. that Theo? No, it's somebody across the water um, that can do sriracha chocolate. Interesting. Yeah. So that would be, I don't know how it tastes, but they're going to send it to me soon. Well, they put salt in chocolate and cinnamon and Mexican chocolate. So that's not that alien, right? Yeah, I've had chili chocolate, or pepper chocolate before that was actually really good. Yeah, 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 sure. Can we look forward to more songs? As I mentioned, Motherfucking Tegardactyl was awesome. Just yeah. the most hilarious thing we saw last week on the internet. And can we see more of that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, they take a long, long time. Like, that took me like 80 hours to do. And in most comics, I can do them between four and six hours. Right. To give you an idea, just because animating takes forever. But um, I absolutely would love to do more sing-alongs. So. Another question from Gord. Why do you draw all your people fat? The short answer is uh, fat people are funnier than skinny ones. I mean, it's true. Like, comedians on stage or Gary Larson's Far Side illustrations, the bloated people are way funnier. So that's why. So how, how do you use your family? How do they feel about your more potty mouth cartoons? Are they totally on board? Most of them are, yeah, yeah. It's actually my friends that can be kind of mean. Like I'll, They'll be like, that was a crappy comic. And they're, like, totally honest with me. So my fans are never honest. They're like, oh, it's all good. And they're like, no, no, there's some that are terrible. But my friends are very brutal. All right, well, no Bone Bat Show interview would be complete without the question. Matt, what pisses you off? Uh, what pisses me off more than anything? Large, sweaty people at conferences who don't wear deodorant and cut in line. That's pretty brutal. You'll be walking down the hall, and all of a sudden you'll get, like, just this waft. I mean, the back corner of this con the other day smelled like raw sewage. Yeah, kind of a marinade brewing by the end of the day. <laughs> the it is marinade. Sunday, right? Yeah, so. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for the laughs and for spending a few moments with us here on the Bone Bat Show. Thanks for having me. All right, once again, thank you to Kyle from Kirby Crackle. That tune again was Ring Capacity, the Green Lantern-themed epic from the 2010 album E for Everyone. Following that, of course, was my discussion with Matthew Inman from The Oatmeal. Such a funny cartoon. That guy, he's been killing it lately. And if you have not heard the motherfucking pterodactyl, 
you got to listen You need to, to go to the Bone Bat page on Facebook, scroll down a little ways, and it's right there for you. And it's genius. Comedic genius. It is. Beautifully illustrated. So multi- well sung. And catchy as all hell. So multimedia triage, dude. Multimedia triage. What you watch? Well, I know what you're watching and listening to doing. I mean, you've been Emerald City Comic Con and then and then and then and Yeah, you know, I actually, though, other than that, between film festival stuff and everything else, the two things I've been doing was I picked up Matthew Inman's book, Five Reasons to Punch a Dolphin in the Face. <laughs> and if you are a fan of the oatmeal, you need to own this book. Because yeah, even it, if you're not. Great big color versions of all your favorite comics. It is absolutely the kind of keepsake that looking over, it makes me feel warm and cozy seeing it sitting on my shelf next to my Penny Arcade books and my Calvin and Hobbes. It belongs there, and it should be in your collection as well. The other thing that I've been doing lately is I finished Mass Effect 3. Oh, thank Christ. You know, I loved it. It was great. It was everything I wanted it to be. It had great combat. But the thing that, that it had was just some fantastic character moments. Mass Effect, for people who aren't aware, it is a science fiction role-playing game where you play the part of Shepard, who is this uh, military hero who is trying to save the galaxy from overwhelming force. And over the length of three games now, you've been building these friends and acquaintances the same way that you got to know the characters in like Star- the Star Wars trilogy. And to have these little character moments, like you'd be walking around the Normandy, the ship in Mass Effect, and when you wander into the bridge, and you know two of the crewmates are cracking jokes at each other's expense. I mean, stuff like that happens, and it is just like so much fun and so neat. And I was just glad I was there for it. It had a a great big grandiose over-the-top ending, which has pissed a lot of people off. There's been a lot of controversy. I wrote a little something on uh, Blogspot about that. So if you want to hear my opinions, I won't bore Gord with them here. But I actually thought it was a satisfying ending to the series. And uh, at Comic-Con, I noticed Greg Rucka was wearing an N7 shirt. And so when I was talking to him, I said, hey, I noticed your shirt. Uh, did you happen to finish Mass Effect 3? And he, he had the best description of the issue that I could think of, which was, you know, a lot of people, I know a lot of people were pissed off at the ending, and the reason they're pissed is because they were trying to beat the game. But you can't beat a story. And this was a story. That's the perfect description. It is. You know, you're going through this epic thing, but th- there had to be an ending to it. And so, again, I was satisfied. Depending on what you did over the three games, your ending can vary. And so your mileage might vary as well. You may not love it as much as I did. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. And that said, though, if these retake Mass Effect 3 people, these activists who have been barraging Bioware with complaints, if they get me more Mass Effect as a result of their whining, I'm cool with that. (laughs) I love that series. I love being in that world. Seriously, probably next to Star Trek and Star Wars, I think it's the richest sci-fi galaxy that there is for us to explore. And that's pretty damn cool. So that's what I've been doing. Oh, thank God it's over. That's all I can say. (laughs) 
We'll no longer have to. Li- I hope it's over. Hope I don't have to listen to you talk about this thing. Anymore. I've got nothing to play, which is probably good because I'm not even going to touch another video game until after the film fest. Really? Not even touch it? No. But after that, oh, I I go. owe you. I need to play Call of Duty. So that's the next thing. As soon as the film festival's over, I'm going to go through the first person of Call of Duty Black Ops yeah. 2. What is, you, what you is the latest one? You don't have to. I mean, Modern you don't Warfare owe me anything. Don't play it if you don't want to. It's just there's it a lot of fun. Big set pieces. No, I, realized... I know you said it, but there's just been things that I had been looking forward to for years that superseded. Okay. So what have I done? Hell, I don't know. I um, read a couple books: Devil in the White City and That's In the a Garden good book, of Beasts. Isn't it? Both of them are. Yeah. I haven't read In the Garden of Beasts, but Devil in the White City I read years ago. And I mean, wasn't that messed up? That building that guy had set up. It, both of those books just fundamentally disturb me. Yeah, both of them are true. Both of them, same author. Both of them deal with crazy murdering people that uh, like to put other people in the oven, essentially. <laughs> so reading those back to back, did you like enjoy the first one so much that you wanted to immediately read more? Or how did that come about? I started to read Devil in the White City, got like 20 pages into it. And then the book group I'm in picked In the Garden of Beasts. So I read In the Garden of Beasts. When I finished it, I picked up Devil in the White City again. So that's how it happened. Cool stuff. You ought to read it. Uh, oh, God. Speaking of books and worlds that you want to you, you go back into, a la Mass Effect, there is another Gunslinger book coming out. No, how? Yeah. He's, <laughs> Stephen King, the, the Gunslinger series, which essentially spans every book he's ever written over my entire life. It finally ends, and he goes, you know what? God, that was, I love that world. I'm going to write another book. And this one is sort of a, a little bit of the, the history. kind of goes between book three and book four and a half or something. He has some excuse to write another story in that world. God damn it, I have to read it. Now, this would be normally the part, if I had my shit together, why I would play the quote from our Under the Dome review episode where you said something along the lines of, I'm never reading another Stephen King book ever. Exactly. It was a bloated piece of shit. Exactly. And you couldn't drag me screaming into another one of these endless tomes. And yet he pulls it out the one thing that can drag <laughs> me right back in. You're, Unless you, you're you Stephen know, King's about bitch. a sentient breast that fights a werewolf. I would read that. <laughs> you're Stephen King's bitch. Admit it. Admit it. I'm the gunslinger's bitch. I, I am. <laughs> love those books. Love that whole world. Ugh. Gotta do it. So I, I read The Devil in the White City and In the Garden of Beasts. And I recently watched Centurion. Have you seen that? I have not. Streaming on Netflix. It's your basic swords and sandals. Roman Ninth Legion. Off to fight the picks. And we all know what happened there. So it's, it's sort of the story about how the Ninth Legion disappeared whilst fighting the heathens of the North. And it, it was okay. It was pretty good, in fact. It's a cool little story. Really good cinematography. But you, Steve, would really like it because when they made the movie, apparently somebody accidentally shipped them a second tanker of fake blood. <laughs> nice. So it's just this absolute gory slaughter fest to the point where I kept going, really? Was that necessary? <laughs> now we're talking. Does it have boobs? It doesn't. That, oh, I, I know. Too bad. I know. It should have. 
But other than a lack of boobs, it's really a fun movie, and well, it's good. right up your alley, so All right, well, I'll keep an eye peeled for that. Excellent. Yeah, streaming on Netflix, you can watch it. Uh, you know what does have boobs and swords, though, is Game of Thrones. Yeah? Which has just begun again back on HBO. But you don't have HBO anymore. No, I reactivated ah, for this. Ah, ah, ah. It only costs six bucks. You're George R. R. Martin's bitch, too. Yeah, I guess I am. You know what? I'm embarrassed. I fell asleep during the last 15 minutes of it. I oh, was, too bad. I was conned the fuck out. And <laughs> it was Sunday night. And uh, we, it's on the TiVo, so I have it. I'll go back. But, uh, yeah, I actually fell asleep. And I have to say, Clash of Kings was not my favorite. That's probably my least favorite book of the bunch. Yeah, Storm that, of Swords is the best Yeah, part. that's where shit starts getting real again. Because it's like in, in Game of Thrones, then Clash of Kings is kind of a lot of setup. And stuff happens, but it doesn't have the jaw-dropping moments that Storm of Swords does. So I, I kind of know what's happening, and I, I'll catch up with it. But that's probably why I fell asleep, because I'm familiar with the material. I don't know. Yeah, still, it's fun. And if you want, if you're a subscriber and you don't have HBO, just call up your cable company and say, I like HBO. And they go, okay, that's 16 bucks a month. And you go, really? What if you give me a discount? And they go, well, how about 10 bucks a month off? And you say, yeah, okay. So you, you got a better deal than I did, because I got it for 10 bucks a month. Oh, wow. So, yeah. I also got Cinemax thrown in, which I don't even watch. Skinemax? Ha! <laughs> you will. <laughs> if I That's know pornography you. pornography for people that don't have the balls to actually order real pornography. <laughs> Come on. All right. Well, why don't we listen to another tune, man? Let's do it. This is one of my favorite Kirby Crackle tunes, Great Lakes Avengers, off E for Everyone. But I think they're maybe racist Just because I'm human, they don't want my help It seems it doesn't really matter If your superpower's firing to the melt I tried to join the Justice League But Batman was a douche to me And Black Canary wouldn't tell me hi
This is Matt Wagner, creator of Grendel, and you're listening to The Bone Bat Show. All right, this is Steve from The Bone Bat Show, here once again from Emerald City, and I am just thrilled to be able to visit for a few minutes with one of my comic book heroes, Matt Wagner. How you doing, sir? I'm doing pretty good. Voice is a little rough always by this point in the show, so I apologize to everybody for that, but... Uh, but that means it's been a good show. So. Day three, right? It's it's winding down finally. But Emerald City is always a good show, I think. Oh, sure it is. Yeah, they have a great vibe, and uh, you know I love Seattle. I just live in Portland, so I'm not too far from here. I'm almost a local boy. It still yeah. has a friendliness to it, you know, where San Diego could be kind of like a, a cattle crossing. Kind of. <laughs> this show is a little more friendly, but then it has, with such a richness of creators in the Northwest, we get all the firepower you'd want as far as really great illustrators and writers to meet. Yeah, most absolutely. You know, I always tell people, Portland is just lousy with comic book creators. Like, you, you can barely <laughs> spit without hitting one of us. Well, just a little bit about you. Now, of course, you've done a lot of work with DC, a Sandman Mystery Theater, very notable, some Batman work. Also, I guess Green Hornet you've done a little bit of. But my favorites have been your creator-owned stuff, uh, Mage and particularly Grendel. So that's what I'd like to talk about today. Since you can describe it better than I can, can you give our listeners just a quick synopsis as to the concept of Grendel? Well, Grendel started out just as a uh, a creation of an anti-hero, and then I eventually pushed it and pushed it and pushed it. It became a a generational concept where it's a character that moves on from persona to persona, so we continually are reinventing the character. And it's kind of an examination of violence and uh, aggression and trying to examine kind of when that's justified and when it's not. Uh, but yeah, it's, a, it's, you know, again, it's a, Grendel is many different characters, and that's always been one of the thrills. Everybody kind of gets their own favorite version, you know. No, that's a question that I had, is because you developed Grendel as a pretty young creator. Was it just a crime story at first, or did you have an idea that it was going to have such scope to it? No idea. No idea I was going to advance it that way. Uh, but that's part of the creative process. You know, you take things and you follow a thread. You know, it's almost like uh, riffing in jazz, you know, or, uh, or jamming, you know. You take a, a concept and you push it and prod it and play with it and, and then come back to the central theme over and over again. Now, I think the, the issue that I picked up first was maybe number three of the Comico series. And I remember flipping through it and coming to the Kabuki vampire sucking eyeballs out of kids' heads, which was the most fucked up thing. And I just thought it was wonderful, and I was hooked ever since from that series. Wonderfully fucked up. I love that. That's great. <laughs> and, you know, what was been great about Grendel is in addition to each concept that you bring, you would almost have a jarring change of artists. Now, I love Mage, but Mage has a very similar style because it's yours. But you've never been afraid to put it in different illustrators' hands who would really take the concept to just a whole new level and a whole new look. Well, you said I've never been afraid. You know, creatively, fear is for pussies, you know. I mean, (laughs) you have to be bold. And that's one thing, you know, one of the reasons I opened up Grendel to having other people draw it was to try and expand my own outlook on my own art to try and help me see a bit through other people's eyes because since I was writing it for other artists I would turn in the script and then I'd get back their art and and, you know sometimes it'd be like wow that wasn't what I was picturing at all you know but that just helps my communication skills as a storyteller Mm -hmm. now with regards to Devil by the Deed 
that was really kind of a non-traditional treatment of a comic with the Art Deco style. The really the whole thing's in prose. Was that a hard pitch when you tried to sell that? Oh well, there was no pitch. Uh, you know, I had originally done Grendel more back in the early days of Kamiko. I had originally done Grendel in a more traditional fashion. I had kind of dumped it when I started Mage, and then I had heard from a variety of fans, "Hey, whatever happened to Grendel? You stopped it in midstream. I'd love to know what happened to that uh, character." So I uh, I revamped it and did it as the backup feature, and I only had four pages to work in as opposed to a full issue for each installment. So I had to conceive of a way to include a ton more information in a much smaller amount of pages, and that's why I latched onto this basically illustrated novel uh, style that you're talking about. <laughs> so yeah, there was never any pitch. I was already doing a book, and I just decided to you know change the content of my own book so yeah no pitch at all um, but you know there again I was trying to push myself in different directions I've always tried to push myself in different directions I guess I didn't realize that because I, now I'm thinking about it I picked up Mage and Trade oh, okay. so it al- already had uh, Devil by the Deed redacted from it yep yep originally it ran jeez um, from issue 6 to issue 14 I think as a backup feature in Mage that's awesome so after 25 years of the Grendel concept, you've covered crime, politics, religion. You've covered a lot of different issues and a lot of different aspects of humanity in the series. Is there a particular concept that you think has really resonated with you to you keep going back to and thinking about that? Well, just society in general. All the things you named there are just the building blocks of society. I'm constantly looking at it, trying to figure it out, trying to examine it. You know, I... I'm a firm believer in that the question is more important than the answer, so I don't think I'll ever reach the end of this process, and I'm fine with that. But, uh, you know, as far as motifs, it's just always trying to figure out why we crazy human beings do the shit we do, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. So, your most recent Grendel work, Behold the Devil... What I find amazing about that is that you, in a way, take devil by the deed and you explode it like one of those car diagrams where you see the outside of a car and all of a sudden you see every single piece that's inside of it. And you did that with your first Grendel work, exploded it, and then stuck in a bunch of awesome kick-ass story with everything that a fan could imagine. There's zombies in it. There's basically a ninja battle. There's fucking demons. It's insanely great. And uh, like it was, ha- done, it was done for Grendel's 25th anniversary, so I figured throw in the kitchen sink, you know, <laughs> just get all the cool shit that any fan would want and throw it in there, and you know, and then of course I got to make it make sense, but uh, but I was very happy with that, and I really tried to get very playful with my layouts and bold with the use of the fact that I was using a, a limited color palette of gray and red and black. And uh, I was very happy with the final results. I had a blast working on that. Yeah, it seems like it's just an amazing project. And, and what I liked about it was that, you know, you're returning to your first Grendel, Hunter Rose, and he has a moment where I don't want to spoil anything for folks who haven't actually enjoyed this yet, but he has an instance where he gets a sort of a vision of how big Grendel would get. And he also gets the sense that maybe he wasn't the first. Is that something that you'll be visiting at some point? Uh, possibly. But the point with Hunter is that, you know, I always claim that, you know, I created Hunter when I was quite a young man. And every time I've gone back to Hunter, I always claim that he's, he's a little more evil than the last time I saw him. <laughs> and uh, that certainly holds true here where he, you know, basically 
again, without spoiling things for your listeners, uh, adds to his potential body count. Exponentially, some might say. Exponentially, in the, in the millions, really, you know, I mean, and that's a, kind of in a metaphoric sense, but also in a very real sense as well. Yeah, I can't think of any other comic that goes from, you know, basically a crime story to a god. And that's, you know, well done, sir. Thank you. Now, I just noticed that uh, this July you're having a new omnibus edition come out with the Hunter Rose stories. Yep, yep. Uh, no, not the Hunter. Well, that's July, but ultimately they uh, it will include the entire Grendel uh, uh, saga altogether. But that's a good place for our listeners who haven't read it yet to jump in. Most absolutely, and they're very much priced to try and attract new readers, and they're all in um, narrative chronological order. So it's a very, very good spot to jump in. And, and the first one will really expose readers to the great scope of styles and themes that we have going on in Grendel, the great scope of uh, different artistic talents that have worked on the book, uh, and a big dollop of my own art. Uh, because, of course, sometimes I write and draw Grendel, sometimes I just write it for other artists. Fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that final book. That's going to be really nice. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so what else are you working on? Not, we've been talking just about Grendel, but obviously you do a lot of other stuff. What else do you have in the pipe right now? Oh, I have a new project coming out in September uh, from uh, the newly formed Legendary Comics, and they are the new comic book division of Legendary Pictures, who, of course, are a big uh, heavy hitter in Hollywood. They produced... Batman Begins, Dark Knight, Watchmen, 300, Clash of the Titans, Wrath of the Titans, Where the Wild Things Are, both the Hangover movies. I mean, they, they're just a really, really power player in regards to uh, film. And they've decided to enter, enter the comic book field, so I'm doing an all-new series with them. It's written by me and drawn by Simon Bisley, who, of course... Oh, wow, is, yeah, Lobo, man. Yep, and also did some great covers for Grendel way back in the day. That's right, I forgot about that. But this is the first time we've worked together in a sequential narrative sense, and uh, the collective title is The Tower Chronicles. It's the story of a supernatural bounty hunter, and the, uh, the kind of long story of his dark and secret past about why he does what he does. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to seeing that as well. Like I said, it begins in September. It'll be released in... It's ultimately going to be a trilogy, but each book of the trilogy is going to be serialized in four prestige-sized issues. So you get a nice big chunk with each uh, installment. And uh, like I said, it begins in September. Fantastic. Looking forward to it. Well, one last question. We always ask all of our interviewees here on the Bone Bat Show. Matt, what pisses you off? What pisses me off? I would have to say I would have to say the, the contemporary American penchant for giving credence to the, the people that d- deserve no credence whatsoever. You know, the... The fact that we listen to the opinions of people who just their only their only criteria or credibility is the fact that they're on TV, you know, the fact that we easily reject science just because some loudmouth idiot is up on screen complaining about how he doesn't believe in it, that pisses me off. Yeah, that idiocracy movie looks uh, <laughs> yep more and more prophetic all the time, sure doesn't it? Does. it? Yep, yep, and uh, you know, I just can't get the the fact that these boneheads that are on the Jersey Shore are millionaire pop culture stars. They're idiots. They're complete idiots. It's just unbelievable to me. The whole thing with the last uh, presidential administration, you know, George Bush got elected because uh, people wanted to feel like, oh, he's like me. I could go have a beer with him. I don't want my president to be like me. I want him to be brilliant and make me feel like an idiot because he's, cons- he's confronting issues that, I, that are so far beyond the scope of my capacity. 
that I don't want him to be like me at all. Exactly. Yeah, the guy who's got his finger on the button, you want him to be brilliant. You know, this whole thing about this kind of all ties in together, but this whole contemporary thing about, you know, against elitism. Oh, bullshit. You know, you want your airline pilot to be an elite, don't you? You want your surgeon to be an elite. Your heart surgeon, you want to know what the fuck he's doing. Yep. Why doesn't that extend into politics then? Why does it have to be a good old boy sort of shit that gets people elected? It just blows my mind and it pisses me off. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. All right, Matt. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you joining us. Yep. Thanks. Once again, that was Kirby Crackle with Great Lakes Avengers. And following that, I had my interview with Matt Wagner of Grendel. Holy cow, dude. Total awesome. I've been reading that guy since I was like my first year in college. And to actually meet him and to have an opportunity to discuss at length a comic that I absolutely love was a real privilege. So thank you very much, Matt, for your time. I really appreciate that. Filthy jokes, dude. Filthy jokes. So I I don't know if this one's been told before, but I'm going to give it a shot. I hope that uh, if it isn't new, at least it's new to you. All right. So this lion's fucking a zebra, right? (laughs) Right. Suddenly he sees his wife approaching over the hill and is about to catch him red handed. Quick, he says to the zebra. Pretend like I'm killing you. That's it. That's it. I think it's funny. That is that is funny. I was just waiting for more. <laughs> I think that joke kills me. I don't know why. Why doesn't he just kill the zebra? <laughs> I guess he's not into necrophilia. A woman says to her doctor, Kiss me, doctor. Certainly not, replies the doctor. Please, just one kiss, says the lady. I cannot possibly. I cannot, the physician states. Oh, come on. I'm begging you, she implores. Look, I've taken oaths. I just can't. It's unprofessional. Besides, I shouldn't even be fucking you right now. <laughs> have we told that joke before? I have not. Heard, I have not told that one though. No. Oh, good. <laughs> even if we have, I mean, that joke. That joke is like a baby with lymphoma. It never gets old. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> what isn't wrong with me? All right, thank yous. Uh, of course, I would like to thank Kyle and Kirby Crackle. Chris Robertson and Mike and Laura Allred for their incredible kindness and generosity in rescheduling our appointment. Uh, Tim Seeley, of course. Matt Inman from The Oatmeal. Greg Rucka, Mike Avon Oming, and Taki Soma, of course. And also John Lehman, Matt Wagner, Mark Rahner, and Emerald City Comic Con themselves. Thank you so much for your time, generosity, and for all the great reading. And I can't wait to do it again next year. Our usual bullshit. The show phone number is 425-296-6557. Or you can reach the show via email to steve at bonehand.com. We have new content on bonehand.com every Sunday, including the heavy half hour when we're not doing a bone bat show. And you can find my stuff such as it is, mightywombat.com. New cartoon every week. I occasionally tweet over there at the Twitter at mighty underscore wombat. You can also follow me on Twitter as well. I'm Bonehand over there. And we also have a Bonebat Twitter feed, so you can follow that for all of your latest film festival news. We have a Facebook group as well, which is even more hopping. And of course, <laughs> thank you hopping. for listening. We are hopping. If you like what we do, please spread the word and tell a friend. 
Our closing tune tonight is perhaps my favorite tune from the new Kirby Crackle album. And as I mentioned in the interview, this was my personal soundtrack to the entire weekend, the song I had ringing in my ears. This is I Want to Live in a World Full of Heroes. Once again, I am Steve. This is Gord. Have a good one. I do have a good one. Like, like this. <laughs>